And now we would like to uh, absolutely welcome back one of our guest speakers that has been on the program before, on the podcast before, Selena Webster Bass, MPH, uh, founder and CEO of The Voices Institute. Welcome back, Selena. It was great. Thank great, you great so much, you. Michael. I'm glad to be here. Tell me a little bit about yourself, about uh, your background. We've had you on before, but uh, I think everybody needs to hear about the Voices Institute and uh, some of the stuff that you're into these days. So. Absolutely. So Voices Institute is a health education research and consulting group, and we're focused on advancing health equity and well-being in communities of color and historically marginalized populations. And my background is public health. I've worked in public health for over 25 years, from everything from sickle cell disease to HIV and AIDS to currently behavioral health and uh, primary care as well. So really excited about the work of helping communities to be healthier. It looks like you've got a lot of mental health-related projects you're working on right now made a list, but you want to go through some of those yourself and just kind of tell us what you're into? Sure, sure. So one of the exciting projects that I'm working on right now is the Advancing Health Literacy Grant. And this particular grant focuses on reducing COVID-19 vaccine hesitancy. And it is in partnership with the Health Planning Council of Northeast Florida, as well as the Partnership for Child Health. And so the city of Jacksonville received funding to mitigate COVID-19 infections in our community. And so I'm doing a lot of the training with health professionals and human service professionals in terms of uh, educating families, children, youth around COVID-19. And I'm also working on some community-based projects, and I call this my heart work, working with the Hope and Healing Circles. It's a group of mothers and grandmothers living in zip code 32209, and it's a peer support format where we talk about trauma, we talk about parenting skills, and how to be better caregivers to, to their children. And so because of the pandemic, we had to move to the virtual space, uh, but we meet every Monday at 530, and so it's a really transformational time with with the mothers and grandmothers. And then also working with young people around mental health and racial stress and trauma and just navigating this pandemic. You know, you think about the life interruptions that children are facing with school and with their social connections and the social isolation that they're experiencing. And so we go out to boys and girls clubs, to different after school programs to educate about mental health coping strategies like pet therapy, music therapy, um, mindfulness, visualization exercises to connect young people to resources in the community. So those are some of the projects that I'm currently working on, and it's very exciting work. Absolutely. I, I think that uh, based on what I see here for your current projects and what we know about you, and uh, I, I think you and I could could literally uh, take Mind Redefined to the next level, just just you and I. We could make each of these one of an, an episode or a podcast uh, for Mind Redefined. But uh, today, we're actually talking about a very specific subject, a very uh, special subject in that uh, today, as we're recording this, it is uh, February 11th of uh, 2022. The month of February is the Black History Month, and um, we're here to talk about Black History Month and the mental health of African Americans. And so, really, I think we need to talk about what is 
what is Black History Month and, and kind of lead off with that? So Black History Month is a celebration of the contributions and achievements of African-Americans to U.S. history. And this Recognition Month began with a Negro History Week that was started by uh, Carter G. Woodson. And that was in 1926. And Carter G. Woodson is the founder of the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History. And so the uh, Negro History Week actually grew into a, a month, and that was officially recognized by President Ford. And so just a quote from him uh, regarding establishing Black History Month, he said, to seize the opportunity to honor the too often neglected accomplishments of African Americans in every area of endeavor throughout our history. So this is a time to really um, celebrate what African Americans have done to create this rich tapestry, this mosaic that we live in here in the United States. And so every year there's a theme for Black History Month and, you know, fitting to this this podcast, it's Black Health and Wellness. And so the theme acknowledges the legacy of, of Black scholars and medical practitioners, physicians, therapists, psychologists, and Western medicine, but also other ways of, of knowing like herbalists and, and birth workers and doulas as well. And so I think about like Dr. David Satcher, who was the former Surgeon General that wrote the first mental health report, really brought a lot of attention to mental health and mental health disparities. And even with our COVID-19 pandemic, Dr. Kizzy Corbett, she was one of the leading immunologists, viral immunologists, uh, in finding a uh, vaccine for for COVID-19. So this is an important time for us to celebrate the rich history of the United States. Excellent. Yes, absolutely. Uh, black health and wellness. You know, you mentioned COVID-19. I think we definitely have to uh, discuss that. It's still at the forefront of many conversations that, that uh, our organization deals with on a daily basis. Combining that with our, our topic, how are African-Americans being impacted by COVID-19? Yeah, so COVID-19 has really amplified existing disparities that were already prevalent in, in our society um, in terms of health, in terms of education, in terms of the digital divide. And so when we look at the data, we see that African-Americans are disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 in terms of COVID-19 cases, hospitalizations, as well as deaths. So there was a Kaiser Family Foundation report that found that African-Americans were two times more likely to die from COVID-19 and almost three times more likely to be hospitalized because of COVID-19. And so th these, this is a serious issue for everyone, but it is affecting uh, communities of color and now even moving to rural, from urban to rural communities as well in a major way. And so um, we know that social determinants of health are an important driver of the inequities that, that we see. And those are the conditions in which people work, play, and live that influence health outcomes. So, for example, we know that African-Americans are more likely to be essential or frontline workers, which increases their risk of COVID exposure to COVID-19, right? Many communities of color live in homes where there's multi-generational housing, where it makes it difficult to, to isolate, right? So these factors increase risk and susceptibility to, to COVID-19. 
And and we're also seeing that, you know, the economic hardship, right? You know, people not being able to pay bills more month than money. It's affecting the mental well-being of, of families, but particularly those that are financially strapped. And so there was another study by Kaiser Foundation that found that African-Americans almost 11% were receiving free groceries or meals in the past seven days, right? That's compared to 3.8% of, of white Americans. And then we also see that uh, in another Kaiser study that 48% of African Americans reported symptoms of anxiety and depression as compared to 41% of, of white Americans. And so we know that we are all experiencing, you know, stress and grief and loss and this communal uh, grief in our community, but communities of color and, uh, you know, our historically marginalized populations are experiencing it at a, at a, at a much deeper deeper level. I've got some stuff in front of me that uh, some of these statistics that uh, Selena has brought us today to look at, but uh, I, I'm sure that they are easily found online. It's against the Kaiser Foundation. Family so, Foundation, yes. Family Foundation. Mm-hmm. So uh, check that out. I'm sure you can search away and figure that where these are, but um, Kaiser Foundation, Family Foundation, these are great statistics. I'm going to keep these. Thank you for bringing these in. You're welcome. One of the the topics related that we had actually talked about on a previous podcast here with Mind Redefined is uh, racial stress and trauma. And we wanted to revisit that topic again. It's been maybe about a year uh, since we last talked about it. Why is racial stress and trauma a relevant topic in our contemporary context? Yeah, so we had, you know, COVID-19 and then we had the compounding effects of of incidents uh, that were happening around the U.S. specific to African-American males and police and other incidents where African-Americans were being racially profiled and hate crimes, right? And so this is an important topic because most recently the Ahmaud Aubrey case, you know, was finalized. Um, Sandra Bland, Tamir Rice, Eric Garner, if I just call the role, George Floyd. And, you know, we see that racial stress and trauma also impacts the mental well-being. So it's not just COVID-19, but it's also the mental and emotional injury caused by encounters of racial bias, discrimination, racism and and hate crimes. And so this is a topic that requires courage to discuss, right? Because, you know, we don't want to, no one wants to be called a racist or no one wants to feel like they are a person that perpetuates hate. But the, the reality is that we see major disparities in terms of the way that African-Americans are treated by um, law enforcement and in terms of the acts of racism that communities of color experience. So so racial stress and trauma, we define it as a mental and emotional injury caused by encounters with racial bias and ethnic discrimination, racism, and hate crimes. And it is emotional. It is experienced at a, at a very deep level. And, and so some researchers have even compared it to post-traumatic stress disorder, racial stress and trauma. And, and even some uh, researchers are redefining it as current stress disorder, right, rather than post. Like this is something that people of color are experiencing um, day in and day out. And so it's uh, because of this vulnerable society that we live in it is impacting the mental health and well-being of of African Americans and other groups as well. And I think there's 
if we haven't covered it enough here, I, mean, I think there's some symptoms that we can look out for in terms of racial stress and trauma. Yeah, so researchers describe some of the symptoms of racial stress and trauma as uh, mood disorders like depression, anger, uh, recurring thoughts of the event, so these intrusive thoughts, uh, physical reactions such as headaches, chest pains, insomnia, hypervigilance, you know, always feeling like you're having a sort of look over your shoulder or that you're not going to live long, um, low sense of self-esteem and self-efficacy, mentally distancing from the traumatic event, so avoidance, and even in some suicidal ideation. So these are some of the common symptoms that have been identified in terms of racial stress and trauma. That last, that the suicidal ideation, you mentioned that, yeah, I read somewhere where suicide is increasing in the African American community. Is there? Can we expand on that topic? Yeah, and, and you know, and this again is another important topic because there is this myth that suicide does not happen in the African American community. And in two, in December two thousand nineteen, the Congressional Black Caucus um, Emergency Task Force released a report entitled "Ring the Alarm: The Crisis of Black Youth Suicide in America." And currently, suicide is the second leading cause of death among Black children, ten to nineteen. And I don't think a lot of people realize that, that our children are uh, suffering and needing a place of, of release and of relief. Um, there was a 2018 study that found that, that African-American children between the ages of 5 and 12 were twice as likely to die by suicide as white children of the same age. And we're seeing that in that group, that black boys are two and a half times more likely to die by suicide as, as black girls. And so, you know, we really need more research in this area to understand the associations and correlations uh, with suicide. Some uh, psychologists and researchers say that it's, you know, of course, mental health issues, relationship issues, uh, toxic stress, interpersonal trauma, prior thoughts of, of, of suicide. Uh, those are some of the clinical descriptions. But there's also been recent research around the association of suicide in Black youth with discrimination. And so I think that's really relevant to um, the racial stress and trauma issue that we mentioned earlier. And, you know, there are a lot of barriers for Black youth in terms of accessing quality behavioral health treatment. Black youth are less likely than whites to receive outpatient treatment. Oftentimes we find that youth are being pushed into the juvenile justice system rather than dealing with root causes and addressing, you know, behavioral health issues or trauma that may have occurred. Um, we also need more culturally responsive providers that really understand the ecological and social context of children that, that are identified as youth of color. Um, and then symptom expression may be very different. There was a recent study that showed that African-American males may not say that they feel low or they feel down, but may demonstrate symptoms where they're irritable or angry, right? And so just even the identification of uh, youth that may be at risk for, for suicide requires some shifting in terms of symptom expression. And so I really think it's important that we do a better job of identifying Black youth that may be struggling, and whether that's through the school system or whether it's through educating parents and care caregivers about how to have conversations around mental well-being. 
And then, you know, this other issue in the African-American community is this stigma, right, where, you know, you don't go outside the family and share certain things. So there's this difference between what's kept public and what's kept private. And so not talking to outsiders about mental health problems is another barrier oftentimes in terms of seeking mental health treatment. There have been lots of awareness raising, like from Taraji Henson, actress uh, around mental health. And so I think we're, you know, making progress in terms of normalizing conversations around around mental health. Okay. And so, you know, I, I can't I can't leave out talking about some risk factors and, and possibly some protective factors for those populations. But. Yeah. So in terms of risk factors for, for black youth, which are similar for the general youth population, uh, the presence of a psychiatric disorder, uh, females are more likely to attempt suicide, whereas males are more likely to die by suicide because of the lethal means by which they carry through the act. Prior attempts, um, being a victim of bullying, uh, cyberbullying, also even bullying around racial identity or LGBTQ identity, right? Social economic factors, family functioning, exposure to suicide, maybe another family member has died by suicide. And of course, having access to a weapon or having access to pills or um, the means to carry through through the act. And then in terms of protective factors, um, strong family relationships, that significant person that the young person can depend on in terms of cultivating their resilience and, and the importance of connections. Um, religious and spiritual engagement is really important as well. Community support, personal factors such as uh, positive self-esteem. And there are even some studies that highlight the role of, of racial significant factors in terms of protecting against suicide as well and who they are is a protective factor as well. And so, of course, we know having family, a stable family housing, income and employment. Okay, great. I mean, you know, it, this is this is fantastic information. You know, I, I think, though, that we can definitely provide the listeners with some strategies that African-American communities may use in healing the wounds that racial stress and trauma create and promoting uh, a mental well-being. What are your What are your thoughts on on that? Yeah, so I like to talk about the four C's, and you know, we talked about earlier the um, stigma that exists in African Americans communities, and so connecting with a culturally responsive mental health provider, I think that's really an important. There are lots of websites now, BlackTherapist.com, Black Male Therapist, um, but finding the right provider that really understands the cultural experience as well as the social and emotional experiences of of, of Black youth, I think, is important and, and of African Americans in general. Active coping strategies such as breathing and meditating and even peaceful protesting, finding ways to contribute to civic engagement is an important coping strategy. Transgenerational knowledge, how we connect with our elders, spending time with our grandmothers and hearing the stories and grandfathers of, of resilience and understanding the, the history and the shoulders that, that we stand upon. So I think that's uh, 
important as well. And then creating community. So finding your village, creating systems of support, whether that's faith-based engagement or spirituality with your church or your mosque or however you choose to worship. And then that collective action again, you know, the importance of, of working in the community to bring about active change. So those are some of the things that I suggest to foresee. So creating community, collective action, coping strategies, and connecting with a culturally responsive provider. Fantastic. I mean, this is this has been great. I, I think we've covered a lot. If someone wanted to learn more about, about those services, resources, again, we mentioned the Kaiser Foundation, the Family Foundation, where would they find, where would they find more information even about uh, your, your own organization? Yes, my website is www.voicesinst.org. That stands for Voices Institute. So that's voicesinst.org. There's mentalhealthamericanational.org that has information specific about racial trauma. That's www.mhanational.org. And then I also want to offer the suicide hotline. And I, I encourage people to put this number in their phone just in case, you know, they're in a situation where they have to provide support or be struggling themselves. So 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255 is the suicide hotline. And actually this summer, that number will change to a three-digit number, hmm. 988, so that people can remember it a lot easier. Yeah. And so we look forward to that. We're planning some uh, community activities around that time so that we can bring awareness to uh, suicide prevention in our community. We'll have to have you back on around that time. Awesome. Um, yeah, absolutely. So again, you know, we knew that it was uh, Black History Month. We we definitely wanted to touch uh, base with you and and discuss mental health of African Americans. I'm, I'm so glad we were able to have you on here again. Thank and, you. Uh, I enjoyed absolutely. It. We're going to have you on in the future. I I suggest everyone who's listening go down uh, the list on the Mind Redefined uh, page and look for uh, some of the other topics that you surround uh, cultural humility and, and a few others, I think, on uh, the stress issues that we've presented and talked about again today. It's, uh, it's Selena Webster-Bass. And uh, I appreciate your time, and we look forward to having the listeners with us in the future. And uh, you on again, Selena. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. It's been yeah. my pleasure. Okay. Thank you, everybody. 